Dave here, thanks for joining me for episode 9 of the Sports Stories podcast. It's great to have you with me. Last episode was with Manisha Taylor, who transitioned from teaching to being a football coach at the QPR Academy. Our special guest today is Rowena Birch, who has had a very long and successful career in sport and has recently transitioned out of sport into the world of financial management. Rowena's sport is judo. She represented Great Britain at the 1996 Olympics and is a former European judo champion. Rowena has not only been a high-performing athlete, but has also been a coach and a coach developer at the highest level. Now, I know Rowena well, and her life has not always been easy. I'm so looking forward to speaking with her today and exploring the highs and lows of her story, and I'm confident there will be many nuggets for you to take away. So let's crack on with the podcast and let me introduce today's special guest, Rowena Birch. Well, Rowena, it's lovely to have you with me. Thanks for giving up your time to come on the Sports Stories podcast. I'm really excited about speaking to you today. We've known each other now, thinking back probably 15 years or so in different guises. I've worked alongside you as a, a developer of people, but I've always been really interested and curious about your journey. I know elements of it in terms of your involvement with judo um, and the events that you've participated at, but another big part of your story, which is always been really fascinating to me is how you've taken many of the principles of your life and taken them through sport but also into the business world which I know where you're at at the moment. As a starter you know I'd like my guests and the people listening into the show to really um, get a good sense of who you are so my first question to you would really be give a sense of who you are by sharing your first memory of, of sport and your involvement in sport. Okay, well, I think one of my first, when I first got introduced really to judo, um, it was summer holidays and my mum wanted me and my brother to keep busy. So she took us to the local swimming pool at uh, Bracknell Sports Centre. And when we were there, we saw this sort of strange room where these people were dressed in their white pajamas and, and they were throwing each other around. You thought, what's all that about? So we had a little look and sat in and my brother decided he wanted to have a go. So he started judo and I used to get dragged along and have to sit at the side. And it, it didn't take long before I realised actually I'd prefer to be doing it than watching it. So that's when I started. Um, so I was really been about eight years old. And I think one of my strongest memories from that time was there was this young boy called Lawrence, same sort of age as me, but a bit bigger, stronger. And he was a bit mean to me. He was a bit rough. He was always rough. He would hold me down when the rules in judo is to pin someone on their back for 30 seconds. Well, it used to be 30 seconds. It's less now. And he'd pin me down and he just wouldn't let me up for minutes and minutes and minutes and until I started crying normally. So I remember that time vividly. I can almost feel it now when I think back to it. But I, I it, it kind of, it turned its, it turned its, uh, what do you call it? It shifted. We had, we had, a, I remember like a, there was a, our first club competition in the club. And it just, um, I did a coach sort of put everyone against everyone. And there weren't that many girls. So the girls fought with the boys as well. I was, I was about eight or nine. And who did I get to fight in, 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 I think it was for a bronze medal, it was Lawrence. And I just, I was that opposite him. And I'd never seen him look so scared. And it was, it was funny because for me, I think I performed better under pressure. Put me in that environment and everything else sort of goes out. And I just, to write, just do it. Whereas he, suddenly all this doubt came into his head. People were all around watching. And I went out and I held him down in the competition 
beat him, got the bronze medal, and we didn't really see Lawrence after that. So that's one of my first memories of judo and judo competitions. Wow. So you started your career in judo there, but you finished Lawrence's career in judo there. Afraid <laughs> so, yeah. Oh. So, so that's brilliant. So at the age of eight, you, you came into the kind of, or you were introduced to the judo and sport world. Obviously, your brother was involved. Can you tell us a bit more, therefore, about your journey from, from being eight? Okay, I will do it very short. Short and simple, because no doubt we'll get into some more detail later. Yeah. Um, I started at Pinewood Judo Club, but it was Bracknell Judo Club. But when we moved from the sports centre and all the parents got together and we built this club in, um, called Pinewood Judo Club. And it was a f- fantastic coach with one of the, luckily had one of the best coaches in the world, Don Werner. Yeah. And something very special about him was... Uh, Everybody in the club was just as important as everyone else. So the little ones that are just starting were just as important as the people that were competing, say, on an international level. And it was a real leveller within the club. And everyone got involved and you really felt part of something. Um, As I sort of got bigger, I was always frightened. I always said I'd give up when I was 14. Because at 14, you start doing armlocks and strangles. (laughs) Scary. But um, as it turned out, my experienced coach gradually brought it in a little bit and a little bit. You'd have a little play with it. And, and so by the time I was sort of 14, 15, I was doing it and um, that fear had gone. It wasn't such a big deal after all. And I actually went on. My speciality was strangles. That was one of the, as far as I was concerned, that's the easiest way to win. There's no arguing over it. There's no referee score on it. They either, they submit or they, or, or they go unconscious and you've won. So. That, that became my speciality. Um, I, I think I was first on the national squad, sort of junior squad when I was about 16. And then the following year I didn't get on and I found that very hard. Um, but it was probably a really good thing. So I went away, I started doing a bit of weight training and other stuff as well as the judo. And around that time, I also moved to Manchester from being down in, my judo club was in Berkshire. So it was a big transition period and I think I was exposed to lots of different things. I say weight training, aerobic sessions, all sorts. I just sort of lapped up as much as I could. Um, Then went on to university and that was where I met my coach, who who I still consider my coach now, Steve Pullen. Um, He he coached at the university and I think he's coached there for around 50 years now. Um, But he was also, he was the, the Paralympic coach for Great Britain as well very very experienced um, so I was lucky I, during my university life I was surrounded by high quality training for me on my doorstep um, going on from there sort of went through my degree I didn't I didn't probably excel in my judo until after my my degree went on and I think I, I then started I started thinking actually I'd like to go to the Olympics um, so 1992 was the first one I was really focused on. What, what was it that you thought, wow, this is time for me to really aim for the Olympics? What did you notice or what, what did you uh, become aware of that your, your attention was drawing you towards that? I think with, with the 1992 Olympics, it suddenly felt within touch. Um, I would, I was, I'd finished my degree I was training more I actually moved down a weight category um, for an event in Paris Paris tournament which is like a world championships in many respects 
And when I was at that event, I actually I had a, a, a fantastic day and I built, beat my idol, um, Emanuela Pirantosi, who's an Italian who was the world champion. And say so I'd, I'd been watched her and I'd admired her for many, many years. And there she was, suddenly I was up against her. And we went down into the ground and she left her neck open. <laughs> So I did my little strangle on her and she admitted she actually went unconscious and um, the fact in, in that event that I was beating some of the top of the world, it suddenly felt possible. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm cautious about asking you too many hard questions here today, Rowena, because I don't want you to do your strangle on me, you see, so you know, be, be careful with me if you would. What, where does that strangle or where does that desire and that passion come from within you? It's part of a judo skill, so it's, it's, yeah. it's, you learn a skill like you would with any sport and it becomes automatic. It's, it's, it'd be like, I don't know, knocking someone out in boxing. It could be, it just becomes something you look for that opportunity and it's right. drilled into you. I don't think, oh, I want to hurt that person. It's not about hurting at all. And in fact, I'm, I'm devastated if I hurt anyone or injure them yeah. however it's it's a very clean easy way to win because if they tap they just tap three times it's an automatic win end of contest you've done but in, in terms of you though I'm really curious also about you know those earlier early years of your life you know that determination that power that where's that come from or what what is that about you um is, is that something that's innate or have you had to learn to be you know that power and that determination and, and kind of literally go for the jugular as it were i think it's it's a slow burner for me um, okay. i wasn't the kid that was really talented at sport i wasn't okay. the one who was really quick at winning and, and doing stuff i was always a bit slower slower learner it felt like at times yeah. and definitely slower at the sport so i had i didn't have masses of success in, in the years up to sort of 16 17 18 yeah. didn't have compared to my people around me i wasn't winning the same sort of medals I, I went in an awful lot of competitions and i picked up little bits here and there and there were easier competitions and harder ones but i wasn't right at the top of the country when i was younger yeah. and i think that really that's where a lot of it developed because you keep i'd come home and my mum i'd say tell to my mum Oh, I'm really disappointed. I'd be crying normally. I hated losing. Um, oh, I'm lost again. I'm not good enough. And my mum would always turn around and say, "Well, look, maybe they're a bit older than you, or you've got plenty of time. What's the rush? Go, you know, you've got to go back and carry on. Go and have start again. Learn from it and do it again." And I think having my mum's calm influence. My dad would do a sort of analysis of all the things that I'd done wrong, right. which was really hard to take when you've just lost whereas my mum would be very much no you've got loads of time it doesn't matter you keep going keep training and um I think you learn you learn to deal with the the downs um and then that helps you keep going long enough to get to the ups and the role that your parents have played in your career as a an athlete what would that be like it was huge when I was younger when I was living at home because they would take us to training three four times a week They'd often drop us off, then go home, then come back, pick me up again. Um, they'd take me up to London, to Crystal Palace for national squad trainings at weekends. And so we had a very competitive club. So we travelled the country from Surrey to Sheffield to Scotland, you know, and, and sometimes we'd do two, two competitions in one weekend. That was just what we did. My dad became an official table operator. So he would help with the scoring and, and um, 
you know, keeping a record of all the scores. So he had a little role when he went with me. And my mum was very much, when she didn't come with us, she was the one who looked after us when we got home and had baked beans and scrambled eggs on toast ready for us to sort of have on a tray in front of the telly. So that was their role. Um, yeah. And, and very much, I think one of the big things was, it was never a question of, would you like to go to judo tonight? Okay. It was like, it's judo tonight, let's go. And I think that makes such a difference once it's a habit, it's just something you do. You don't have that whole decision-making, shall I go, shall I? And I don't feel like it, no. You don't, you, you don't most nights when you got home from school fancy doing two and a half, three hours of judo. You really don't until you get there. And then when you get there, you just do it and you enjoy it and it's a release from school and everything else and you come home tired and you sleep really well. So, and that's really powerful in terms of just the positioning of should we go to judo or, or it is judo and the habit that that's formed. And you know, I'm I'm picking up here about actually one of the the disciplines that you brought through is is something around forming habits, isn't it? In terms of the performance, I think habits is so important. And we do a lot of there's a lot of talk of your your big goal and and have it on the wall every day. But I actually believe it's it's the, what you do every day that makes the difference. You can. There's always lots of shiny things you can go and do that look like they're going to be the shortcut. But actually, it's the little things you do every day that are the habit that you don't have to make a decision about because they're built into your life that I think all add up, add up, add up and, and, and take you to where you're going to go. And that's not just in sport. I have to keep reminding myself all the time about every day, really. You know, it's the little things, what are the habits I need to be doing, what needs to be automatic. And leading on from that, you know, in terms of your, your direction, you've shared part of your sort of your life story in terms of your judo career and where you've got to. I just want to focus. Can you share with us uh, an example or a story about somewhere and something of your greatest success um, and how those habits really helped you? My greatest success was recognizing, was around recognizing that I actually love those habits. Okay, so... I'll tell you, there's a little story behind it. So um, it was in 1994 and I was already beginning to think, actually, I'd really like to go to the Olympics. Um, I pretty much focused in on my training as the thing that I was doing. I did little bits of work teaching judo in schools and things to support myself. But my goal was judo and getting to the Olympics. I went to this British Open in London, um, London. And it was always sort of the event that, that the team for the Europeans would be picked from. And I just kept thinking, oh, cranky, what if I don't perform? Then I won't go to the Europeans, then I won't go to the Olympics. What if it all goes wrong? What if I get beaten? And I remember feeling really tired. I kept yawning. I wasn't sort of feeling, oh, wow, this is great. I, it wasn't fired up. I just was so frightened of losing. And... As it turned out, you know, I had I had a really pretty poor performance that day. I um, I came across another British player that I should have beaten very easily, and my head wasn't in the right place. I was distracted, and she beat me. And I sort of came away from that competition thinking, "Am I wasting my time? What a waste of time!" I you know I've got a degree. I should be going out earning a living, building my career, and instead I'm going to a silly competition where I get beaten by. Someone I shouldn't be beaten to, I, you know, I'm, what am I doing with my life? And I had a good three days, and I remember those days, sort of waking up in the morning, thinking, what should I do? Oh, is it worth it? I'm so fed up. And trying to weigh up in my head whether it was realistic, you know, would I ever get to that Olympics? 
I think around the third day, I was with my, my uh, boyfriend and we, we sort of sat watching Cool Runnings. And I love that movie. I love that movie. But there was this bit in the movie when um, I think the coach said, you know, if you're not good enough without the medal, you're never going to be good enough with the medal. And that just sort of sat with me. And um, it kind of made me realise that, you know, I put all this emphasis on this going to the Olympics. That was my medal in my head, getting to the Olympics. Um, and it was making me really, I was getting really sad around it because I felt like I wasn't worth anything really without it. And then I started realising, actually, but I loved, I loved the sport. I loved the travel with my friends. I love the trying to, the whole puzzle of how do you get better at this and what is it in, within you that you've got to change. And, and I suddenly realised that I, I love that thing that I was doing every day. And, and as long as I could do it, I wanted to be able to do it, whether I got to the Olympics or not. I knew it wasn't something you're going to do forever. But there was that recognition that actually I love doing it. And so I stopped worrying about this silly well, it's not silly, this, this giant goal, and, and just started enjoying every day. Now, about three months later, I found out I was, I was selected for the European Championships. Luckily, the national coach had great belief in me. And I remember running along the canal with my, my boyfriend, and it was about a week before, and I said, I feel really good. And he turned to me and says, well, I feel really good as well. I said, well, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah, this is lovely. It was a lovely sunny day, a bit like today. and um, we just were enjoying the training and we ended up going to European Championships which was out in Poland and I say it was three months later and we both won that European Championships on on the same day so we'd gone from three months before thinking about packing it in thinking it's not worth it I'm not going to make it to a change of mindset recognizing that that habit that I was doing every day I actually enjoyed that was special in itself yeah. Um, the, the whole challenge and the dream was special in itself, whether I made it or not. And that took all the pressure off and let us get on and do what we had to do. So, yes, that, that's an example of habits every day, but it's a mindset around those habits a little bit as well. It's lovely when you're picking up on that mindset stuff. And, you know, for a minute I'm thinking there, gosh, this is really powerful stuff. But I'm wondering, what was the catalyst, do you think? What was the moment where you went, right, it's about my mind and I need to change it? Could you articulate that, do you think? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a matter of me recognising well, my mind's in the wrong place. It was a matter of me recognising I loved what I did. Yeah. So that's slightly different. And, and I, I think I got that from watching Cool Runnings. There you are. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, and it's a powerful stuff. And, it, and, it, and again, that pay, plays to me that, that idea again about just getting better each day at a time, isn't it? Rather than looking too far, far away down at the goal. It's about actually if I'm better tomorrow than I am today then I'll continue to love what I do. You might, not always, you might not always be better tomorrow as okay. you are today. Right. But you have to find the fun and the enjoyment in what you are doing every day. Right. And you're, okay. you might well be aiming to be better every day, but there's going to be lots of days you're not better than you were the day before, or it might appear that you're not better the day before. Right. Particularly if you're trying something new, yeah. quite often it sets you backwards before it goes forward. So you've got to be able to live with that, feel that, be okay with that. And what do you do then? How do you how did you make yourself enjoy it? You know, or what, was there anything you had to do for yourself or put in place to ensure that you continued to just love what you did? I think I think 
there was that underlying I what I did love what I did, but I didn't recognise it. Mm -hmm. So well, once you recognise it. Because it was all, but it came about winning the next medal or maybe getting better or all the rest. That's all important. It's not, it's not important, but yeah. it, it's actually recognizing, well, are you enjoying to some point? You might not enjoy all of it, but you, so you get a hard training session, a really hard training session. You might have your coach shouting at you. It might be going wrong. You might have tears. You might get with judo, get punched and, and, and kicked or whatever, if you're not with a very good partner. So there's lots of elements that you don't enjoy. Yeah. But that satisfaction at the end that you've done, you've put in 100%, you've done a really good training session. The feeling afterwards sometimes is the bit you enjoy. Or it might be, actually, let's go for a drink with, with each other and have a cup of tea afterwards and just talk about life. Yeah. Sometimes it's the bits you attach on to the bits that you don't like that make it all really special. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's that we can shy away from the pain and the, oh, that's really uncomfortable. I don't like doing that bit. And if you do that too much, you don't actually get the, the pleasure of the, I suppose it's the endorphins of the actual feeling, actually, I did something that maybe you didn't know you could do, um, or, or that sort of sense of achievement once you have done it. If I flip that a little, though, in terms of actually you were having a really bad day and things were not going well and they weren't going to plan, what would you do to try and bring yourself back around? Okay. I think one thing it really helps with who's in your team. So... For me, that would often be my coach, Steve Pullen. Yeah. Um, he very much coaches the person rather than the sport. So when I turn up, if I'm having one of those really poor days, he would kind of look at, you know, what, what's going on? What's going on behind this? Why is it a poor day? He would adapt the training to fit. And there were plenty of times he said, right, you need to go and get changed. Go and get showered now. He could see it. It wasn't, it wasn't a useful training session anymore. He could see I needed a rest. Um, I didn't want to stop. I wanted to keep pushing. I felt I need to train hard. I'm not getting the results I want. I need to do more. So having someone in your team who can say, actually, you need to just stop now. Take a break. Go and get changed. We'll talk about it later. I think that can really help. And, or having someone that you trust that you can just bounce it off with or moan about with. Or having teammates that... that that get it as well and they put their arm around you and say never mind come on you know let's go and have some do something else for a little bit afterwards and, and, and I'm just just to focus it again into you and I'm wondering you know there's lots of uh, lots of individuals out there that are performing in whether it's their little football team or at a grassroots level or a high performance level where things are not going very well and yeah I really appreciate the team around us is is absolutely crucial but I'm also concerned um, if for those people that actually I need to change what's going on for me and I'm on my own as it were and I'm just wondering you know if you were in the middle of a, a fight that you were there and you were thinking right this is not going well for me and I need to change is there a phrase or is there a saying that you used to call on or anything that you could help you flip that switch especially in a competition no I don't think there was a phrase it was more of a get up another go come on get up try again get up do it in, in that actual moment when you're under in a competition my brain doesn't actually think that much at all right. it's it's more just down to instincts what's happening what's happening rarely if you have for me if i hadn't practiced it or something similar it wasn't going to happen in a really big event right. um in in training though i think it, you, you you sort of consider actually 
you take a step back and think, well, how much of this is within my control? It might be you've got a really awkward person that you're training with. They're moving really difficultly. It's, it's, a, it's an imbalance and it's not working for you. It might actually not be what I'm doing wrong. It might be just you've got someone who it's not working with. Um, so it's sort of understanding what's within your control. It may be just a bit of an exploration, right, okay, this isn't working. You might go and ask someone else, what do they think? Well, why isn't this working? Um, and within myself, generally it was like, let's have another go. Get off. So you normally end up flat on your back. So it's get up again. Let's have another go. Okay, smash on the floor again. Okay, I'll have another go. What could I do different? Shall I hold this sleeve at this time? How about I change sides? What about if I pretend I'm going to throw them forward and then take them backwards rather than just going for the backwards? I hear there, you know, let's get back up and have another go. But you've also thrown in the idea there, okay, well, what can I do different? You know, and there's principles about actually if I keep getting back up and doing the same thing, I'll end up back in the same place. So actually, you know, and there's a principle or a philosophy coming out here in terms of actually... Uh, and a lovely phrase you used earlier on, which I, you know, I really liked, was, you know, the puzzle of trying to work it out. And it sounds like you're a kind of a puzzle fixer here, isn't it? You know, every, every bout you go into is a puzzle in some ways in terms of actually how am I going to work it out to get to the, the goal that I want at the end? Does that ring true? Absolutely. And, and some, some of it, I mean, often when you try something different, it doesn't work initially because you're not fast enough on it. You're not quick enough at it. It might take, you know, you, you say if you've got an opponent that I, I used to have a real difficulty with high left-handers and, and I suddenly was talking to a sport psychologist one time and it just came out actually everyone I was losing to was a high left hand I hadn't even noticed which was a bit strange really when I think about it now it was like well how do I deal with that high left hander um what can I do different and then we would put together a plan of okay well try controlling the high their high left hand okay go underneath it so you try put three or four different things together but then you have to keep it'd be practice, 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 because it takes a long time. If they're very good at it, it takes a long time for you to counter it. Yeah. So, I'm yeah, poly, poly, here. <laughs> No, 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 but I think for me, the, the, the technical stuff leads to the actual, what's the principle, and actually what you're doing is really illustrating for me about the, the length and the depth of detail you went to in terms of what you practised, you know, and actually ensured that what you were practising was relevant to the puzzle or to the challenges that were presented to you. You know, and it's lovely that because for me, again, for those that are listening in, is that we can take out of this about actually in order to progress and to perform at a higher level, we have to understand what's ahead of us and what the challenges are. Where do we, where do we consistently fall down? And therefore, how do we practice to overcome that? You know, and I yeah. think it's a, a great principle which you, you're sharing. I think it's, it's very much about that practice. So like tactically, I think there's a bit of an assumption of you can work it out in your head and you can do it. And tactics, I think, are much like sort of the technical side of sport. They need practice and practice and practice until it's almost automatic to work under high pressure and and against the top team, you know. And And even then, the circumstances change again. Yeah. And I'm also picking up very strongly about the value of the team around you to identify what's needed. And that actually, in many ways, you couldn't do it on your own. You needed, you know, an external kind of perspective or a different lens to help point out actually a high left under or this particular person in this particular way is what's a bit of a blind spot, you know, and it Mm -hmm. becomes then conscious so you can start working on it. 
Wow. Yeah, that definitely helps. And, and use of video, looking back at things and seeing what happened and then seeing how other people would tackle the same situation. What are they doing to get ideas? So, Rowena, just to broaden it out, thinking about actually that principle of, you know, practicing or, you know, using observation, what are the great big challenges have you faced that have you found as um, great learning opportunities that you could share? I, I honestly believe that performance sports gives you skills for life. And, right. and it, it isn't, I don't think it's always easy to transfer immediately it's sometimes it has to be conscious a conscious effort think back to your sporting world and how did you would you have dealt with it there and then consider how do you do with it in real life so sport really and the things I learned really helped me um sort of overcome massive challenge um in 2013 um my husband suddenly died in a car accident uh, it was obviously out of the blue, totally not knocked me for six. Um, and it actually, it, it changed who I, I didn't know who I was afterwards. It changed who I was. It took away all my confidence. It, it, it almost like it just sort of left you in this sort of void. Well, how do I get up from here? Yeah. And there was loads of things that I gained from sport and I over time used from sport that really helped me on that journey to pick myself back up again and look at what, who am I now and what do I do now? One, one of those things was sort of this recognition, actually I've lost my confidence. It's not just in confidence with doing things that were new that I didn't have to do before. Like, um, say what well, one example would be mowing the lawn. I, I didn't mow the lawn. That was my, my husband's job. So, um, the first, well, it was quite a few months before I actually got to do it. So by that time, the grass was up here. And sort of recognising that the only way I'm going to get the confidence to do stuff is through doing it. You can't, you know, there's lots of ways you can help. You could, could just say in your voice, oh, I can do this cutting the grass. It's no problem. You could have your friends saying, oh, it's easy. You can do it. You're well capable. Those things things help but it's actually doing the little the new things or the things that feel new again that actually really builds your confidence so I remember going into the the shed and opening the door and, and there wasn't just one lawnmower there were two so I was back to square but I'm like what do I do with this again <laughs> had to have another cup of tea and sit in the deck chair and I think well, I can do this I can mow the lawn um, and I did mow the lawn and of course it's not that hard once I did it but that whole principle there was getting my confidence back was finding little challenges that would stress me but not so much that I was gonna crack um but actually were of a level where actually I might not always be able to do it but not not too many that I don't succeed at so I kept picking little challenges little challenges and gradually my, my confidence rebuilt and I think that's something that you learn from in sport you know I look look at the competing at the Olympics and you're standing outside this massive arena feeling reasonably confident. Well, how do you feel reasonably confident? There's a massive crowd out there. You're on the biggest stage of the world. And, um, you know, you look back and it didn't just happen overnight. It wasn't me saying, oh, I feel confident today. It wasn't coaches around me saying, oh, you know, you're going to be really good. It, it was through years of practice and stressing and dapping and, and gradually building the level of competition, building the level little steps by little steps until I was in that position. And then another example was um, that enjoy the journey that I gained after that British Open where I just thought, 
you know, should I be, should I even be doing judo? And I realized actually I love doing the journey. I love those habits that we're doing every day. So sort of finding a way to enjoy my journey through bereavement, it sounds sort of weird, but actually if you, if you, you, you can try and treat it, well, what's my challenge today? What have I got to learn? And how can I enjoy that? What, what's the pleasures that I can get in doing it? Those are so powerful, those experiences that you share there, you know, it, through such a, a dreadful kind of experience to have to have. And I'm just curious as to, you know, what was it that brought you back to those key principles about taking small steps and enjoying the journey? What it was, I say that I, I had the news that my husband had died when I was up in Scotland. I was about to just about to go and see um, one of the lovely coach that I was working with up there. And I was sat in the car, got there early, and I suddenly got this phone call from my my coach, Steve Pullen, at home. And he said, Rowena, you need to come home. Where are you? And I was like, what, what do you mean? I'm in Scotland. I've got to go and see my coach. He said, no, you, you need to come home now. You, your, your husband's died. Ryan's died. Um, and I remember that, that moment very clearly, putting the phone down and actually immediately all that, the adrenaline came in, but it was just like, right, I've got to treat this, even the journey home, like a competition. How do I do it? Um, you've got to make sure that I'm hydrated, make sure I stop and have a rest, make sure I have little bits to eat. And I, I actually went straight at that point into competition mode, you know, high highly alert, really careful, stick with the basics, what's really important to help me get home. And then on that way home, I was coming through the Lake District and it was so beautiful. The, the sun came out on the hills and um, I remember a really strong sense of this awful thing, this awful bit of news has happened, but how can it still be so beautiful here? It can't all be bad. Nice. And... Um, it's sort of almost in my head, it's sort of said, you're going to have to use everything you've learned so far in your life to cope with this and deal with it. Um, this is what your life up to here has been for almost, is to yeah. give you the skill to deal with this. So it was an absolute clarity at that point that I was going to have to use what I'd learned through sport, through life, to actually deal with this, this massive thing that had happened. And... That, that real quiet journey coming home on my own. And I got really told off for driving home. I should say, we well, should have got the train, you got this, but actually it was such precious time for me to just sort of, I don't know, see this clarity of, of a little way forward through it all. And, and I pulled on it from there on. When did you realise that that journey was so clear? Because I'm sure when you were in it, did, you, did it feel clear as you were driving that through? Or, it, or are these comments that you're making here as a, yeah. a reflection back on that journey? It felt clear. It, it, it was very strange. The emotions didn't kick in at all. Okay. Yeah. All right. There was no emotions. It was, it was total matter of fact at that point. Total matter of fact. How do I deal with this? What have I got to do? I've got to get home. I've got to get home safely. Um, I said, oh, I, didn't, I didn't cry. I didn't. It was nothing. It was just total strange space. It was almost like, you know, time stopped for a while yeah. while I got home. Um, so, yes, it, it was a moment of clarity. Once I got home and it was like a circus after that around you and things going on and people in and, and the reality that it really have happened. Because on that journey home, it still might not have happened almost. You think, oh, maybe it's a mistake. Hmm. You know, but, uh, yeah, there was, it, was, it was a vague moment of clarity for me. 
Gosh, and, and a, a real illustration of us actually calling on the, the resources from the journey that you've been through in life, you know, to actually help and aid you through and the highs and lows of it all. I, I know it sounds all quite organized in your mind here and quite clear, but I'm sure it was quite messy at times as well, you know, in terms of what, how you felt and, you know. Oh, absolutely messy. I mean, I you Google bereavement. How do you get over bereavement? Where's the ABC guide, please? I want it now. You know, there's plenty of times I felt quite lost. Um, and, and then you just hang on to what you know and, and, and try and use it and apply it. I mean, the other, the other thing was the, um, I sort of think about when you go to the Olympics, again, it's very easy to, to get on this world stage. Everything's very special. Everybody wants to help. And you can very easily distracted by all the new bits, things you could try. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Um, and it takes a lot of confidence to say, no, I want to be in this judo suit, this judo suit I always wear. I don't want this new, really super duper one that you're suggesting I should have. I don't want to have this nutritionist working with me who I've never worked with before at this stage. It's too new. It's too late. I want to just do the Olympics. Is it, is it a bit like that? At this stage, again, you're trying, you're, at, you're calling on the most you've ever had to take from yourself mm -hmm. to deal with it. And, and I recognise that one of the key things you've got to look after is the basics. So making sure you've got eaten the right food, you're getting rest and getting a little bit of exercise. Not so much exercise that you're, you're running to the ground, which you're not trying to push it hit. You're trying to put yourself in a state where you're in the best state to cope. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, I did think... I did consciously not drink. I did consciously try and eat well. Um, I did consciously try not to do too much and, and to make sure I got the rest and I was sort of able then better to cope with it all. So really great principles out there about actually coaching the person as opposed to coaching the athlete, you know, and how do we make the person evolve and develop and become a really great self-aware knowledgeable person about themselves because if we can create a person like that then they can perform at the top level and I, i'm just drawing on what you're talking there about very strongly in terms of times of bereavement and so on it's, it's still those principles are still key about actually having a really good mental health and a good sort of physical health and actually just keeping it a really good balanced lifestyle and how important that is to help navigate those times of real, you know, darkness and bereavement and so on. It's really important. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? I am, yes. I'm, I'm, your instincts to go and eat a load of rubbish, comfort food, and, and to drink yourself silly, but it doesn't help. And, and we know that. So, yeah, it's... it's I, I think I did, I did pull back on, you know, how do, how do I do this? What do I know that can help me? Yeah. Anything that can help me make it feel a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and did, yeah. did, you, did you do it on your own, do you think? You know, and, and um, again, principles of going through bereavement is, I, I think, are really, really important. And especially in this day and age where I think we're losing lots of what we had before. So the principles of bereavement are really key. And, I'm, you know, I'm wondering again about, you know, as a performer, we often become quite... Um, you know, insular in terms of it's, we have to look after ourselves. Um, but yet there is a big support team around us often. And how much do we call on that in general day life to help us through times of change? You know, did you do this on you your know, own or did you call on others? I was very lucky in some ways. Um, first, firstly, my first priority, very clear, is I had to look after my children. They were still pretty young. And, um, and, and having that clarity that actually I've got to look after myself to look after them. 
and I owed that to my husband. Um, but the other thing was I did have a team around me. We, I used to train. I've always trained in the mornings with a group of different people from all different backgrounds, some of which do judo, some don't, but we come together and, and we train and we have a cup of tea. And it's, it's always been sort of initiated by my judo coach again, Steve Pullen, who was very much like a dad to me. And when this happened, I mean, we, a, lot of, a lot of them were dear friends of, of Ryan as well. So he, I remember him saying, right, you need to come to the gym. You don't have to train, but you're going to come and have a cup of tea with us afterwards. And having that right from the start, there's, you don't, we never had that awkwardness of people not knowing what to say because we were all going through it together. So there were plenty of times, you know, after a while he got me into the gym. There were plenty of times that I'd be there doing, we used to we'd do this circuit with a weight, Lamont, we call it, where you frame a weight around here and, and do stuff. There'd be plenty of times I'd be in the gym with tears streaming down my eyes. Everyone ignored it and we just did the exercises with it and I could, I could just be me. So I was very lucky to have that support of people around me that right from the start, because with other people that I, I didn't see for two, three months or four months, the first few times you see them, it feels really awkward. They're really sad. They, it, the sadness hits them when they see you. And you might not be in a sad moment that time. And it's kind of like, oh, God, do I have to deal with all their sadness now as well as my own? Um, so, yeah, I, I would say, again, finding it's finding a little habit, going every day, trying to keep some sort of normality. And it, and it certainly helps having people around you that, that know you for you and remind you, you are still you. Can I take us on a step though, in terms of now, you know, you, you've, you've had this huge experience in your life and, you know, again, it evokes lots of emotions, but you've, you've called on a lot of your learnings and the skills that you've developed. And uh, another big issue, I guess, that we talk about a lot in the uh, sport world is about the various elements of transition. And I know you've made a number of transitions in your life from athlete to coach and coach to coach developer. And, you know, subsequently now I know that you're, you're working in a, a, out of sport and I'm just wondering how you've navigated those and found those journeys. I think maybe that the fact that I'd already started some of that, what are the skills that I know already moving through these different careers that I can move from my experience in sport and take into the next one um, has helped with each transition. And initially when, when you're, you're in a high performance sport and then you move into a, it was, it was a national coaching role. I moved straight into afterwards. You're still in that same world. So there's an awful lot of, you still consider the expert in that world. Um, and then similarly going from coaching to coaching coaches, it was a small step. The big, the big step came, or what I felt was the big step when I was sort of 50. And I thought, actually, I've done 50 years. I intend to be around for another 50. What am I going to do for my next 50? I'm ready for a bit of a change. Um, and I think what helped me through that is, is the little things you, I've had, had to learn along the way through those other transitions. You, you can't expect to be an expert at something immediately it takes time and, and and I had to remind myself how did I get good at doing judo you get good by doing what you do every day so what do I have to do every day to get good in my new role and you have to allow yourself to be rubbish sometimes and to get it wrong hard for sports people that have been at the very top some an awful lot of people seem to expect you because you were brilliant at that you're going to be good at the next thing and you're going to be good at everything but actually you're still a beginner and you, and you need to make the mistakes and get things wrong and have the support around you it reminds me actually I wanted to show you this 
um, I did a little, it was a 10K yeah. run, um, and it was, it was a media city in Manchester. It was meant to be the 10K, and it got cancelled because yeah. of the coronavirus. So they told us to do it all online. And they sent us this little card afterwards once we'd, we'd done it all. And it says, never compare your beginning to someone else's middle or end. Lovely. And I just thought, I so love that because you do instinctively, I do, because I want to be the best. So I'm competitive. You're starting something new and you look at the people around you and they all seem to be doing everything so well. And you just say, oh, I'm rubbish at this. Um, but recognizing, you know, you're at the start, you're going to have to just get out there and take some risks, build your confidence through stressing, new challenges, getting it wrong sometimes, adapting. That's the key principle. But, but the, it's such a lovely saying, but there's also something for me about celebrating the, the good things that you've brought with you from those other places as well. So, you know, there might be some things which you're not very good at, okay, but there might be some things that you're really expert at because, I, you know, I'm, I'm very aware of the industry and the world that you've gone into and I'm just thinking, wow, you've got those 50 years and I'm sure there's some brilliant stuff you've learned because you've, you've actually shared that for me, that some of the things you took from the sport helped you through some of the transitions and now into this industry as well. So no, I guess it's interesting, isn't it? What, what you do take that you're an expert at, but there's also what you have to recognise you're new at and a beginner at. I think, I think it, it, it's, and I will go into that a little bit, but it's, it's typical of a sports person. You, you get asked, remember I was in a group of us with all sort of ex-Olympians and it was people get, getting support yeah. um, on our transitions and we would set this goal plan and we all had to say we had to have two goals or two things around things we were really good at and three things around things we weren't so good at every one of us only worked on things we didn't consider ourselves good at <laughs> and we had when none of us had followed the instructions <laughs> but why is um, that though why, why why didn't you all focus I don't know why that is you always want more but uh, I have found that so many skills have been transferable into my new role as a financial advisor. That whole coaching, uh, you know, talking with people, helping them to think about what they're trying to achieve, why it's important to them, what are they doing at the moment, why are they doing that, that question asking. Um, similarly, you know, Pulling, getting, helping them to pull on experts around them. They don't have to be expert at everything, just as the athlete doesn't have to be the expert on strength and conditioning. They get stretching, different conditioning coaching to help them with that. Um, similarly, if you know there's a particular area of their financials planning that, that you know needs an expert in, get an expert in to help them with it. Um, and I think it's also around you know a look at it like it. If you're planning to get to the Olympics, you, you have to put some contingency plans in for what if this happens, what if that happens, what if your judo suit doesn't arrive and your bag gets lost, you know, how, you, how are you going to cope then? And it's similar with, with finances, you know, what are the things that could go wrong? This is where you're trying to get to, you know, is there anything ways we can mitigate that to make sure that it doesn't, that bump that could happen doesn't take you off your, it might make you on a little side road onto to where you go, but it doesn't actually stop you getting to where you want to get to. And did, did you know that all of these things were going to be relevant and transferable into that role before you took it on, or have you worked this out as you've gone into this world? I had a sense of it. I had a sense of it, and that was through a few things. One, one through myself trying to sort out my own finances after my husband died, and, and that sort of learning journey through that. Um, 
through talking with my mother and her trying to sort out her finances and she'd ring me up every week and ask me, you know, how do I do this? What do I should be doing? And at the time I didn't know, mm. but um, sort of an awareness actually, if I did know, if I knew, if I knew, if I know this sort of the information, the way things worked in the financial world, whether it's way pensions work or investments and savings, if I understood that better, then I would be able to ask the right questions to help my mom, help other people, help myself make the right decisions that are going to help build the goals of what we're trying to achieve. You've really cemented that for me in terms of actually kind of using that coaching style or coaching approach with the clients in the that you work with in the financial sector, you know, trying to establish what their goals are, where they're trying to get to, what's the reality of where they're at, and ha- help bridge the gap in some ways and work towards it. Absolutely. You know, so it's... it's- so much being part of the team, the long-term team, like mind you, the coach was with me through the ups and downs. It's, it's the same, you know, the, your finances change, your needs change as different things happen in life. And, and it, to have someone there who's kind of gets you and what's important to you and, and understands what's happening and where you've come from can help under those circumstances when there's change going on and you actually need to make new decisions, help make, be- help make better decisions. What's been your greatest challenge uh, in this most recent transition from from where you were into the, the financial world? What what do you think has been your, your hardest step? The hardest step is wanting to be the expert at everything. I want, I want to be really good at it, impatient to be really good at it. And like anything new, it, it, that takes time. And I, 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 what I've done is I've built a team around me who have expertise in different fields and different areas within the financial financial world to one help me learn, but also in the meantime pull on um, to help support my clients as well when there are areas that I maybe not be as strong on. But the key the key is you know I got the basics so I know what I don't know. Okay. And, and then from there, but I think that that frustration with wanting to be right at the top and know everything about everything, which you can't do, I, I find. I found probably more quite challenging at times. So I'm kind of hearing again in terms of a principle of, of how to navigate this is, is, is kind of what do you set as your success measure? Because if you're trying to be the very best at everything is, is you know, what is that? And, and I'm nearly hearing what you've come to in terms of actually recognizing, knowing what you don't know, okay, is one key thing. And then actually becoming an expert Okay, and I choose that word really carefully there because you become an expert in pulling the experts around you. So building the right team to have a really high performing team for your clients has been what you're becoming expert at. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That's definitely a big part of it. A big part of it. Yeah. Great. Good stuff. Okay. Well, um, you know. Uh, there's so many key principles from your story, both in the sport and in transitioning into the uh, the business world, which I think we can hopefully pull on and draw. And I want to just narrow us down a little bit now. I'm going to ask you a number of quick fire questions because I really want to help, um, again, the listeners taking from your story some real tangible things which might be able to help them and you know I'm again really conscious that we're in a very changing world and I think what's really struck me is some of the changes that you've had to navigate your way through throughout your life and your career some chosen and some really purposeful but actually some others that have been put on you should I say 
And, you know, and I think there are key principles in both of them, but using that controllable kind of message in terms of, look, I've, I've gone in here and I've tried to drive my way through these different scenarios. Okay. So I'm going to throw some questions at you. Be quite short and sharp. Okay. And let's see if we can give some real gems out to, to those that are listening in. What sort of reading or books have you used that might have um, informed your story throughout your journey? I'm not sure it's informed my journey all the way through, but a book that is very significant to me was Riders by Julie Cooper. And the reason I say that is that was the book I read when I went out to compete at European Championships. And it actually helped me just switch off from the pressure. We, I had to compete on um, two days with a day's rest in between each day. We get the day before, so there's quite a lot of downtime. And that book just took me into a different world, helped relax me so that when I needed to perform, I was at my best. So, Jilly Cooper, Riders. Right, great. And is, are there any other ones that have informed you? I mean, because I, I, I love the way you've kind of interpreted the question because I think uh, there is something about actually what do, what do books do to us? And some of them calm us down, but some of us inform us. And I wonder, are there any, any, any texts or books which you might steer people towards that might give them greater insights or, or, or not? I've, got, I've thought of, an, there's another sort of couple of books that I've, I think have been quite significant recently for me. Yeah, great. Uh, one of them was the Mindfulness Guide for the Frazzled by Ruby Wax. Now that one I listened to as an audio and it's really good as an audio because Ruby is quite funny. Yeah. And um, I think that one was really relevant because I think when you when you you're someone who's who wants to be the best they can be, you can get quite frazzled. You can go, oh, I need to do this, I need to do this, and you're pushing, pushing, and actually recognizing and and, and building the skills in mindfulness can be really helpful with that to just calm it. Yes, and create a bit of space that you can actually then carry on and do a little bit more. Hmm. So that that was that's one book that was quite significant to me. Um, and another one was um, Michelle Obama's Becoming. I love that because Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, you know, they're right up there and you're thinking, you know, what must it be like to be their life? And, and through that book, you hear actually she's quite normal. She's similar sort of insecurities and um, difficulties. And, and, and I found that in itself very reassuring. You know, on those days when you feel like you're not good enough, you're not doing very well, actually most people feel that, even the ones right at the top. So, And, and you felt that during your career? Always, yes, always. <laughs> Moving us on, uh, I'm conscious that you're in a different world here, but either in the sport or your new world in terms of transitioning into the, the financial world, what would be your go-to sort of piece of technology or software that you would not leave the house without or you found to be most valuable to you? Well, in recent weeks, Zoom, dare I say it. And, and the, one of the biggest reasons for that, I, I think I've talked about how important my morning training is with my friends and my judo coach. Well, my judo coach is now nearly 80. And when this shutdown came on, you know, suddenly the guy who was out every night of the week running judo clubs and out running training sessions was suddenly um, sheltered and had to stay in his home. And... We introduced, I, I said, why don't you come, come on these, have a chat with us, a few of us on a Zoom call. And he hadn't done Zoom before. 
I, none of us had done really Zoom before, but we started it anyway. He came to, there was about five or six of us. He came and joined this Zoom call. He said, what are you doing sitting around drinking? We should be doing exercises. Go and get a stick. Go and get a weight. And, and now since then, every day of the week, half eight till nine, a group of about 20 of us are trained by Steve with a stick, with a chair, with a whatever. And, and so that, having that little bit of, of, of my team in my life yeah, at the yeah. start of each day is, is invaluable. And that so, connection. Yeah. Yes. Good stuff. Okay. If you were to win the lottery tomorrow, how would you, as, an, as a financial advisor, how would you um, use your winnings? <laughs> well, I'd put it in my pension and I might do some investing. And it's, a, it's a difficult question because I think for me, I, I, I think the richness of life you get through sport, I've, I've always felt that you actually, when I look back at the time I had, I was traveling the world with my friends, looking after my health, with a team of people around me supporting me. I've had the millionaire's lifestyle. So I, 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 I'm very aware that you don't always have to have money to do the things that you want to really do. It's often more about being really good at what you really do. Um, so if I had a million pounds, I might like to visit a few places that I went to before and we stayed in really rough accommodation and stay somewhere nicer. Okay. Um, but then the, the other thing I, I think I would like to do is, is I'd like to support Gadam. Mm-hmm. Gadam is a charity that I'm a trustee for that um, supported me and my children particularly through the bereavement. They, they, they do caring support, bereavement support, therapy services. Um, and I, I, they're dear to my heart because at the time when you really need it, they were that helping hand that I needed. So I think I'd put a big chunk of it to help them carry on doing the work that they're doing for the people that need it when they need it. How do you really prepare to perform at your best? What do you need to do to be in the best shape you can be to be the best Rowena? I think I, I need to do less rather than more. I trust what I know. They, they, and, and look after the basics. It, it nearly always comes down to making sure I'm getting the rest I need, making sure I'm eating well, making sure I'm getting some exercise and have some contact with some great friends. And, and that normally puts me in the best position, best place to deal with what I have to deal with, whatever that is. Can't say more than that, can you? In one sentence, what advice would you give to a teenage version of yourself? I think I'd say enjoy the journey. It comes back to enjoy the journey. Whatever you're doing, if it's, you know, if you've got something difficult that you're having to deal with, treat it as a challenge. Don't shy away if it's a challenge. Get on with it, you know, but enjoy it. Um, that, that life in sport is, is a privilege. It's, it, it's, it's uh, such an opportunity to enjoy. And I'd say really, really milk it. You're lucky. You're lucky to be doing it. Enjoy it. Uh, and, that, and that's lovely and that really plays actually towards you know the, the reason for having these conversations because I think sport is such a rich space and place for people to be whether it's at the highest level but actually even at the lowest level and you know I talk to my son often and, and the thing he's craving most is just wanting to be with his football mates you know and having those sort of conversations and I know we've touched on this before about the real value of that connection in the sport place so hearing that is just fantastic and, in, and as you say enjoying the ride and hopefully this is what the sports stories podcasts are trying to do is just share some of that but also highlight the value that sport can bring to people's lives and you know you've really echoed that along the way so it's fantastic to hear two more questions and then we'll wrap up but what's which three people have most positively impacted on your journey would you say 
So my late husband, Ryan, um, he was an inspiration for me. Fabulous at um, being focused at what he wanted to do and getting on and doing it without any procrastination and moaning about it. And um, I'd love to be a little bit more like him at times. And the next one would be my judo coach, I believe, who, who um, Steve Pullen, who coaches the person. Um, I would like to be like him for other people, helping other people know what questions to ask, show an interest in them, and through that, help them to achieve what they can really achieve. Um, third person would be my mother because she's wonderful and um, she's supported all the way. She's always, she's an ear to, to listen and a sounding block. She tells me as it is when I'm not getting it right. Um, so yes, my mother. Wow. And, and you can just tell how those three people have actually thread through everything that you shared today. So it's really powerful stuff. So thank you for sharing that. And then um, the very last one I would put to you is you know given that you've shared your story and, and actually there's been loads of inspiration you've been really vulnerable and showed you know some of the real downsides and the, the learnings you've taken from that as well as some of the great highs of your career who would you really be interested in hearing their sports story and for what reason i'd love to have a good chat with jessica innes hill um hugely admirer my, my daughter wanted to be was inspired by her and wanted to be an heptathlete. So then I started really, really watching her, following her, looking, at, looking into it. And I think it's amazing. I'd love to know more about what, what happened in those early days when she surrounded, you know, the typical body type for someone in heptathlon is a lot taller than Jessica and, and sort of how that felt, whether she believed that it was, you know, they didn't make any difference, what the influence of her coach was around that. Um, that whole, I, I love a sort of a story that challenges what people perceive to be the rules and the guidelines when actually they, they may be invisible and not, they're not actually there, they're just a perception. And I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about that bit of her journey and, and what took her through it and, and stopped her thinking, oh no, I don't fit in this box, I'm, I'm not in the right place. Well, Rowena, for me, you, you take us right back to the start, actually, in terms of actually you challenged the rules a bit with, with um, being a, a, a seven or a nine-year-old going on onto the mat in the first place as a, as a young girl and then and winning. And I think it was Lawrence, wasn't it, who, you, um, who never came back again. But you're actually starting your journey as going to break the rules a little bit and go and assert yourself. And, you know, and I think one of the things I've really picked up strongly about is your courage in terms of your how you've navigated all the ups and downs, um, but also been really positive in your outlook and driven your journey. You know, and I think it's a real credit to, to what you've done. And you know, I, I know you've put it on to Jessica in, in wanting to find out a little bit more, but I think you're a living example of, of, of how you've, as you say, navigated this with a smile on your face. So thank you ever so much for, for kind of being so open and honest and sharing, because I think it truly does give other individuals some hope um, it gives them inspiration. It gives them ideas even as to actually what is possible because actually you've proved that pretty much anything's possible if you have a great time, enjoy yourself and put in the hard work, actually. Um, and, you know, I, I'd like to wish you good luck on the next part of your career. And, and I'm, I'm always a great admirer of somebody that picks up the challenge at whatever stage in their life. And I know you've changed career massively. But again, 
hearing it and, and seeing you with a smile on your face and embracing the new challenge of a different world is fantastic. And should anybody who's listening in be interested to find out a little bit more about what you do, can they make contact with you in any way? Yes, I think LinkedIn's probably the best place to do it from. I'm reasonably regularly updating on LinkedIn what I'm doing and, and, and how it's going. And um, so just connect with me on LinkedIn, send me a message. Great stuff, great stuff. Well, on that note, uh, I'd like to draw us to a close. Thanks again ever so much for being so open. Uh, it's, uh, as I said, I've known you a long time and I think you've just been true to who you are, very open, natural, and just very, say as it is, and straightforward. And I really admire that. And I think the quality of the work that you've done and the people I've spoken to over the years who I know have, have been influenced on you can probably advocate that you're becoming very much like your coach in a sense of actually making the difference that he's made to you you've made to them so keep up the good work thanks again and let's hope at some stage we can come back here in a year or so's time and have another conversation and see how this current journey is going because what i'd like to say is i'm pretty sure all the work you do now is massively impacted on your sporting journey and your sports story so thanks again take care look after yourself and see you soon thank you david wow what an interesting conversation we're going There were definitely some real highs and some devastating lows within her life to date. What really shook me is how when she was looking to perform at her best or pull herself through difficult patches, she reverted back to getting the basics right, rest, food, exercise, and connecting with some friends. I was also drawn to the importance of good habits and the desire she had to work out the puzzle she was faced with. The puzzle could be anything from the opponent in front of her, the person she was helping as a coach or financial advisor, right through how she managed the loss of her husband and transitioning through her career. Her courage and desire to take on challenges in order to learn and develop is so clear to see. So with this in mind, I'd like to pose these questions today. What small steps over the next week or two do you need to put in place to begin forming a new positive habit? Furthermore, how are you going about solving the puzzles you are faced with? How could you become more effective at this? As always, I hope the questions give you something to think about and add to the enjoyment and value you get from the podcasts. If you've missed anything, please feel free to drop me a note at sportsstories247 at gmail.com or take a look at the show notes below. As a quick reminder, we have another special guest next week where we will delve into their story, unpick how they've navigated the sporting world and look to provide you with some nuggets of information and further inspiration. So look out for the Sports Stories podcast on all the usual podcast platforms. It would be great if you could leave a brief comment on Apple Podcasts, as this helps the undecided potential listener that they will get some real great value from the podcast. So to wrap things up, thanks for joining me. Have a great week. Look after yourself. And I really look forward to having you with me, Dave Levine, on the Sports Stories podcast again next week.